episode 34, Done and Dust Billy, was part two of My Girl and Grief. What are people going to learn this week? Yeah, big, possibly the heaviest topic we've done. Um, we talk about some really practical approaches to support young kids and older kids around setting them up, you know, when these tough experiences happen, mm. um, how to respond when they come to us. Mm. Be really guided by them. We're also guided by listeners. We have some phenomenal contributions this week, especially by one parent who was kind enough to give their heartbreaking experience and what they best learnt and how to guide others. Yeah, it was. Uh, it actually guided more about half of our episodes on an incredible contribution, and, and we loved it. Um, if you haven't listened to part one, that's episode thirty-three. It'll give you a bit more context to so go back and give it a listen. But uh, enjoy, guys. Hi, I'm Billy, a developmental paediatrician. And I'm Nick, a developing parent. We're going to use scenes from iconic movies to talk about how we best support our kids. This is Pop Culture Parenting. Hey, don't let your mother smell that beer on your breath, she'll take it out on me. Good Sunday morning, Billy. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, it is a beautiful Sunday morning. It is. Spring has sprung. I can actually tell you my chickens have started laying eggs again. Really? Yes. Yeah, great. I didn't even know they stopped. Oh, they stopped during winter. Let me tell you. They go down to two. I've got seven chickens and then they're back up to seven at the moment. So yeah, getting bang. one a day, yeah. So I'm looking forward to eggs being back <laughs> oh, on the menu at our house. No, maybe not that many. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're beautiful eggs. Yes. Beautiful chooks when too. When you get them, you do complain about not getting them frequently. <laughs> yeah. um, and yeah. I even wrote Freddie into calling her favourite one Billy. I'm not sure it was her favourite. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly roped it into calling Billy. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice trick of mine back when you first got the chooks. Yeah, so, but you did keep them alive last summer, so I appreciated that. Yeah, it was good fun, to be fair. I think it was actually Annalise that, yeah. that, that was driving around on her way to night shift. <laughs> but she, she loved it as well. Like we both enjoyed it. Wow. Felt like it was a privilege to look Truth after it. Truth revealed <laughs> and on camera in 4K. <laughs> so, no, it was great. Yeah, so you no, know, the chooks and um, but no, that's a great highlight. And um, yeah, I guess the topic today um, talks about the week we've had as well. Yeah, it's been a really uh, interesting week with some amazing contributions, which we're fortunate enough to be able to unpack um, from people who have sent us a lot of stories and experiences and questions around grief. Um, so this is a part two episode, uh, episode thirty four, technically on My Girl and Grief. So for those of you who's first time listening to it, uh, an episode of us, <clears throat> we actually do two-part series to each of our episodes where we talk about the theory and giving people some tactics that then they can go away for a week and focus on those ahead of coming back and doing part two where we take a lot of questions. So questions are categorically what drives part two. So we love it when you send those through either to Instagram at popcultureparenting or popcultureparenting at gmail.com. And then we answer those questions in this second part episode, which is exactly what we've got this week, Billy. Yeah, and it's, you know, possibly the toughest topic that we've ever done. So I, um, yeah, I think you've been amazing this week at fielding uh, some pretty heavy info and questions that have come through listeners. Yeah, so for those that got messages, so we, Billy and I, tackle the inbox together for um, our pop culture parenting Instagram handle and oftentimes I'll 
leave ones for Billy, but there was a few that when people came through, I read them and I felt so compelled to respond um, immediately because I didn't want to leave someone left unread, frankly. And I was like, what you have shared is amazing. Um, and just appreciate those people that uh, <laughs> were nice to me. If I, I just tried to respond with the right thing and um, there were some mm. really tough topics that came through and um, just amazing contributions and um, a lot of sincerity. So, Yeah, and just shows how... Um amazingly resilient brave and honest and generous people can be and we've got a really great example of that at the end of our plan today yeah we do um but we might kick off and get into it so um just thinking about what we had this week a lot of things obviously grief centers around loss and you explained that last week where grieving or grief is the process of dealing with loss um and the two main things we received from people this week was grieving around the loss of loved ones friends so death Mm-hmm. was a key thing, uh, whether it was pets or whether it was parents, um, in some cases uh, children and siblings, which was tough, and then also the loss of relationship. So we had some people come in and ask around divorce and dealing with divorce and whatnot. So a lot of stuff came through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think where we'll start with uh, the first section we'll go through is um, talking with kids, uh, young kids and teenagers, about death. So I might actually just get uh, an example of the type of thing we received this week and then ask you a couple of questions. Yeah, great. Cool. Um, so this came from a listener. Um, a scenario I've had with death. Uh, a scenario I've had with death was the passing of my great aunt. My son, who was four at the time, asked, "What happened when your body goes under the ground?" Whilst we were standing in the cemetery, I said, "You turn into a skeleton." He looked at all the graves, and then said to me, "So there's skeletons everywhere here?" I said, "Yep, there is." He just ran. Poor fella. We eventually talked it through possibly shed too much detail for a four-year-old. Billy, how do you talk or how do you speak to young kids about death? Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, you can imagine it's a pretty full-on experience for a four-year-old, but it's an understandable one because the mum is demonstrating, I think it was a mum, yep. is demonstrating beautifully being led by the child because the child's kind of asking the questions. And I think that's a really important bit about it. The other thing that she does really well is, you know, is really honest. Mm-hmm. And I think... That's a really important bit of what we do when we talk to kids about this. And four might seem young, but a lot of the research shows that from about four or five years of age, kids will start understanding it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, uh, you and I often talk about how we live in the uh, in the topic, and yep. um, we experienced it this week, yeah. rolling out a daycare together yep. with our three daughters. The yep. first time listeners, we don't share three daughters. No, <laughs> we've got, I've got two daughters. They all look alike. They've all got red hair. Um, yeah, so we had that experience this week where it's it's kind of, it's not funny, but usually like, oh, if it's a parenting tip or a food tip, I can activate that straight away. But I didn't see this particular scenario coming. So what actually happened, Billy? Yeah, so you and I were talking and, you know, like classic, we've become definitely adults because we thought the kids weren't paying attention to what we were saying. And we were just talking about the topic and, you know, children passing away and stuff like that. Mm. And Freddie caught it rolling out of daycare and she's your four-year-old daughter and, you know, said, Billy, what happened to that kid? And, you know, we were both kind of frozen on the spot of like how do we respond, which is exactly what so many listeners have asked us about. So it was a really good example of like, yeah, how do we do this? And it's And it's tough. I think it also speaks to the bit of like it's good to – have a plan before this stuff comes. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't as honest as this parent here with this example. I kind of actually turned to you and was like, you mm. can jump in here, mate, because I didn't, I wasn't prepared for it. So it's actually put me on notice 
Yeah, well, I think it's just understandable. And it, you know, if that's what Freddie's demonstrating is that she's really inquisitive about it at this age, and that's kind of what happens. And the kind of, you know, the theory is that kids will go through different elements of this. And a lot of the research has tracked kids from you know three, four, five into kind of their early teens about what how they change in their developmental understanding. And every kid is different. But they kind of do start around this age that Freddie's at. So she's beautifully demonstrated that trying to understand it and that's mm. what she's trying to get her head around. And the same as the little boy in the cemetery is like what's going on and how does this apply to everything else and everyone else. And that's why it can be really tough for kids because they're like, my security and safety is tied to you as a parent. How can you not always going to be around? And that's um, that's one of the tough bits of it. Yeah, super difficult. What- yeah, so I think that kind of, yeah, the, the honesty bit is a really important bit about it. Being led by the child as well is really important. So going at their pace and not putting information that's overwhelming for them. Um, and it's really interesting. They kind of three of the big components that come out early yep. for kids around death is that it's kind of universal so that it will kind of happen with, you know, with every everything that's alive, okay. that it's inevitable so that everything that's living will one day die. And some of the way we find that out is you ask children, like, what what can die? And, you know, early on, say three, they can't really understand that question. But then as they get a little bit older, four, five, six years of age, they can answer that it's just living stuff that can die. And okay. that's a part of life is that living things will die. Mm-hmm. And then they start to understand the irreversibility of it. And that can be really challenging because sometimes parents will explain it to kids and say, grandma's not coming back. And you kind of go, cool, okay, you've understood that. That was a really tough conversation. Then three, four days later, they'll be like, when's grandma coming again? Because they just, it's a really tough concept to be able to understand as a little one. So what you're saying is it's, people say, how do you talk about death? It's basically, you're going to do it a lot of times. You can do it a lot of times, you do it really gently, you do it really slowly, you kind of focus on their specific questions as well. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, around are they coming back, what happens when you die, you know, all of those things. Like, you know, and the, the cemetery can be one that is hard because a lot of kids will think early on that they still exist somewhere, just somewhere we can't see them. Oh. And so obviously for a lot of people that's religious, but... You know, a lot of people, and we might have an opportunity to talk about our own experiences and how we share that about people that we've lost. But I think, you know, just being honest and open about it. And what a lot of the developmental theory and research says is that talking about kind of the body parts of it is really helpful for a lot of kids and saying that, like, actually your body stops working and oh. and that's what happens. And really early on for kids, they can understand that from the context of, like, people who get old will die um, and it's a harder concept when they're like but how come but that person wasn't old they were a kid yeah. that was in my class or you know and then they understand some of the causes which is that you know something bad happens the body stops working because of this or because of that or the heart stopped pumping and things like that and those are really good ways to explain it because they're honest and they're true they can guide kids and then we actually just scaffold support around them just in the same way that we need when people die. There's kind of the understanding of it and then there's the coping bit, which is two different things. You can understand death and still really struggle and mm-hmm. not be able to cope with it. And So they're two different a- aspects of talking to kids about it. 
Yep. Okay. And a, a slight follow up from another listener was, um, my kid had recently started asking lots of questions about when certain people are going to die, particularly their dad. Uh, we don't want to shy away from the topic, but aren't really sure how in depth to go given their age. It's a young child asking about when's yeah. dad going to die. Yeah, and that comes to the universal bit of it that they start realising everyone's going to. And yeah, I think uh, I said last episode, yes. I can still remember like lying in that tiny yeah. bedroom and being like, oh man, my mum's not going to be around forever. And you know, as a kid, that can be really hard because you're really secure, you have really secure attachment to a lot of these people in the okay. world. And you're like, I thought you were always going to be here to help me. I thought you were always going to be here to play with me and all this stuff. And there's, I sent you a clip, um, which, you know, listeners can find, which is um, on Sesame Street. And yeah. It's, it's phenomenal to watch it because it's, it's Big Bird being taught and Big Bird, you know, represents a child in the show. Um, and it's Big Bird being told about one of his favourite characters dying and it's because the actor died. And Sesame Street's been going since the late 60s and it's just a phenomenal program about building, understanding and developmentally supporting kids. And that was their whole goal from its conception and they brought in a lot of expertise and psychologists and developmental theorists about it. And they just do this beautifully where they step through it. And if anyone's got four and a half minutes, you should watch it. It's on yep. YouTube. It's pretty grainy because it's um, from the 80s. But they just talk about it with Big Bird and they do it in that way. They're really open and honest and they say he's not here anymore. Um, and there's some really beautiful bits that they do where, you know, we'll talk to um, in this episode about making sure that we also show emotions and show that we're struggling with it for kids. Spot on. And I think just back to my girl, the example scene that we use, which is available on our Instagram to go and watch. Um, I think Dan Aykroyd does that quite well with Vader from memory. Like he's really open about what's happened to Thomas J. And Yeah, he has that bit where it's the coffin scene as well where she is like he can't see without his glasses because she's even though she's 11, because Vader hasn't been supported in developing her understanding of grief and death because of Dan Aykroyd's own grieving process, yeah. death is all around her and she's got kind of these um, dysfunctional coping mechanisms. You know, she's worried she's got prostate cancer, she's worried she's been stung by bees, all of that stuff. That's a common thing that kids will do whereas they'll transfer the experience and that's them trying to understand the death. Or they'll ignore it, shut it down. You know, obviously kids, a lot of kids will externalise. But yeah, you see this moment where she runs, she comes away from the coffin and Dan Aykroyd grabs her and he's like, he's gone. And what he's trying to do there is one of those early steps that we talked about last week, which was acknowledge and recognise the loss. And that's what he's trying to do is say that this is irreversible, this is final, he's gone and... And then the bit that he doesn't get the opportunity to because she runs off and runs to the teacher, teacher is acknowledge the emotions and support. And, you know, you see on the scene we did use on the end of the bed, Dan Aykroyd actually does demonstrate his own emotions and says, you know, there was just too many of them and you can see his voice breaking a bit when he's talking about the bees and he's not here anymore. So yeah. really important bits of it. And Vader's a good example of this really bright kid who just it hasn't it wasn't caught when she had her own experience you know with her mum even though she was really really young it's been a part of her narrative but no one's kind of guided her through it and talked about it and then because she lives in a funeral home there's all these opportunities to talk about death but she never gets them so she runs off to the GP and yep. 
you know, and almost has this kind of caring sick role with her grandma who has dementia as well mm. and probably can't understand that she's also going to leave mm. um, because she's she just hasn't had that support through and that's what's important that you and I as parents decide how we're going to guide our daughters through that. And our daughters right now are quite young, but we had a question from people about speaking to teenagers. So how do you support a teen who's really shut down and struggles and won't acknowledge their pain? So to that point around... It's great when a four-year-old just gives you that absolute what's on top of mind, truth. They come to you to ask questions. What happens if you're watching a teen go through um, dealing with death and they aren't going to open up to you? Yeah, and it's really true and that speaks to the second component. So the first one we're talking about is like an understanding of death and grief and going through kind of, you know, it's universal, it's irreversible, you know, it's going to happen to all of us, it's inevitable. Yep you know, the bodily aspect of it that we've spoken about. But then there's this coping bit and yep. about how hard that can be. And there's even research that shows more sensitive, anxious kids will hold fear around death a lot longer than kids who are less sensitive or less anxious. And the theories are kind of they've never acknowledged it, so they've never kind of dealt with that process like a lot of kids do, like it, almost what Vay's had yep. where there's no acknowledgement. Or they're actually defended against it because sensitive kids are so tied to their relationships that they're like, I can't acknowledge that dad's ever not going to be around. So that when it comes to them in teenage years, they really struggle with it. And they've kind of followed kids' trajectories on that. Gotcha. I think a couple of things are really important in that. And that's, you know, we even had some people sending in this stuff about the importance of kind of creating space. And people were saying, you know, we'd sit on the end of the bed and talk about it. But then actually, you know, one person was saying we walk on the beach and other people are saying like, you know, days and weeks and months later it comes up. And yep. It's a really important bit of it with older kids is creating the space and making sure that they understand that it's okay to go at their pace, talk about it when they're ready, you're accessible, you're also struggling with it. Role modelling that it's tough for us is a really important bit of this. It's such a... You keep making this point and I never think about it. I don't know what it is, but like kids are going to – like I always go, this is going to be a tough convo and st- stupidly naive, or naively, I think it's going to be one. Yeah. And it's not. No. It's going to keep coming up. I just keep thinking I'll build up to this moment and that'll be it. But it's there's, there's a, Yeah, there's a hard bit with that because you're like, oh, man, the good bit about it is when you're like – yeah, mate, there's all these skeletons here. You get another opportunity at it, you know what I mean? That it's not That's not set in stone for that little boy yeah. now that he's like he's always going to be worried about skeletons running around. He's going to give that parent hundreds of more opportunities to explain this process and that's the beautiful thing about parenting is that we keep getting cracks at it. <laughs> you get a crack. So. Oh, just, yeah, I suppose I probably will get better at it when I'm having those combos but it's that whole thing here. You, get a, you can get a crack at parenting any topic five ten times a day it's always going to come up again yeah definitely and that's you know freddie is going to give us another chance and if it happens with both of us there we might be a bit better prepared for it i hope so billy (laughs) because it wasn't great (laughs) um okay cool thanks for us answering those ones so now we're going to go into uh a bit of a quite a tough area but contributions from people this week and the honesty is what makes part two so important and it's just worth quickly acknowledging that um answering a lot of these questions is going to help a lot of people that can't ask the questions because mm. it is really tough. So this part we're going to talk about a loss of a child within a family. Um, what's your experience with this? Yeah, a really tough one. 
and I might have said this on the podcast before, but and I think both of us are getting this experience through the podcast, but the profession that I work in is a developmental pediatrician. It's this phenomenal privilege that you get an insight into some of the hardest things that families go through. And um, obviously the loss of a child, it doesn't get much worse than that. Um, so, yeah, I'm really lucky that in a lot of the roles I've worked with amazing teams such as the oncology team or the palliative care team, um, I've you know been in the emergency department when I've you know in rare circumstances ch- children have died that we've been caring for and it's um yeah the emotional turmoil that it has on the people that love them is just unfathomable and that's why it's so amazing that people listen to the last episode and then send in their experiences um and there's a lot you know. Yeah, there's a lot that's really hard about this stuff for those families and people around them. People send in stuff to us about, you know, my kid's best friend has passed away who's a child. We've lost a child in this community, you know, and the whole community is suffering. And I kind of started writing content. Like I, through the week, I think about, you know, either the leading topic or when we see the questions, like what do I really want to give to people that will, will not be able to come and see us in clinic and won't be able to engage with this stuff? And then, yeah, a couple of days in, uh, this phenomenal parent who's been listening to us since we started the podcast um, and has told us a bit of her experience sent in, you know, that she wanted to share with us. And mm-hmm. I think um, I think you and I both got a bit emotional reading what her messages were. Um, yeah. and. Yep. Yeah, so she is uh, a mum who has lost a uh, 10-year-old son and a two-week-old daughter, which you think one of those is is enough and unfair, um, but has had the amazing courage and lack of selfish, you know, thinking about herself to share with us what her experience has been. And I, I realise that she actually says it better than I do. So what we thought is that we're going to get her some of the key points that she... Uh, has sent us and speak to them. Yeah. Feel comfortable reading it out. Yeah, yeah. She's got, uh, I think it's about eight points which we're going to go through and Billy's going to talk to each of them. So the first one that she contributed was um, when talking to your kids, be clear and truthful but don't overload with info beyond what they need or ask for. Yeah, so it's such a good point and speaks to what we were saying about, you know, honesty is a really good part of this and also if there's bits you don't understand or that don't make sense, you know, being open and sharing that too. And then, yeah, not going beyond it because I think it's it's hard and you can kind of, we can get stuck a little bit in going, cool, and this is the next thing you'll want to know, but we should really be led by them, especially younger kids because it's going to take kind of a long time for them to get to our level of understanding as adults knowing that it's pretty hard for us as adults when when we hear about death of kids yep um we've covered this one but it's her second point and it's a great one you're going to have lots of little conversations rather than a big one yeah and that talks to what you just said as well actually don't expect that you know this is one end of the bed conversation I always worry about even though we use it as a scene for my girl is that parents think the end of the bed conversations are what dictates how kids are going to feel about these big topics. I don't think it's true in my experience. The end of the bed is not as valuable as everyone thinks it is because kids don't live their lives in those moments. They live their lives in kind of the emotive sections of what's going on and, you know, the anguish, the heartache, the joy, all that stuff, which very rarely happens on the end of the bed. And also it speaks to it's not kind of what we say to them in those conversations, it's what we role model. 
and they will see the ways that we kind of experience these things and processes themselves as powerfully as they'll see the way we explained it. Yeah, that, more so. yeah, that's a good point. It's kind of like, um, yeah, just uh, showing, like demonstrating as opposed to saying yeah. two different things and we hear that a lot. Uh, kids' understanding happens in stages. Revisit things as they go through development stages. So mm. probably as they age, they move from like a tween to a teen sort of thing. Yeah, well, definitely. Like that kind of the early stuff, you know, that we spoke about is the four, five, six-year-old where it's like old people won't be around forever, you know, those type of things. And that's much easier for them to understand and then give them opportunities to process, whether it's grandparents or an older pet or something like that. And then it becomes more complicated, especially if it's like traumatic experiences. It can be much harder for the younger kids to get their head around that. Mm-hmm. And that's actually okay. We just, we, we're led by them and we support them at where they are as opposed to saying, well, mate, it's been two months now. You should be, a, you should be good with this now. Like you've had time and that's... You know, every culture is different in the way that it processes that stuff, but I think we've got to be careful about rushing kids through it because we're like, mate, it's been long enough now. Um, back to back to kind of being normal. fine about it, normal, yeah, yeah, and all that stuff. No, that's loss, isn't it? Um, mm. Let kids see your grief. Putting on a brave face all the time for them makes it hard for them to express their grief and see it as normal. Yeah, and that one hit me a little bit because yeah, yeah, it's um, and especially to share that after the experience this family has had. I remember a story where um, where I was in the emergency department one time, and we had a young boy who came in, a young primary school age boy who um, the ambulance had been doing a phenomenal job, who who'd arrested, um, had collapsed, and ambulance were on scene really quickly and they were doing CPR and trying to keep this little boy alive, came in the emergency department. I still remember there was, you know, so many of us in that room with this child and the mum was there. She'd come in the ambulance and just she was, you know, you can imagine what the experience was like. She was kind of shoulder to shoulder with me just sobbing and screaming at this boy, you know, and I still remember the moment when, like, he passed away and we were all, like, kind of really frozen emotionally like as staff because we'd all been involved in this but this parent is just breaking down and her uncle uh sorry the the boy's uncle came into the room and mm-hmm. he was um this huge man i can still remember him he came through the double doors and he just saw his nephew lying there and knew that he'd gone and i just i still remember the sound and him just collapsing to the floor and howling and it actually was, I think, really therapeutic for all of us because mm. it kind of opened up this, it kind of gave allowance and permission for the emotions of all of us to come out. And I think it is really important that we let kids see that, um, whether it's, you know, when our parents have passed away, the loss of an animal, all that stuff. Because what it does is it gives permission for our kids to show their emotions around this tough stuff and say, it's actually an important part of it. It's also important if you don't show emotions and it's okay, like, and you are able to process it without falling apart. But I think it's, yeah, it's such a powerful point that she makes is that, um, yeah, allowing kids to see that this is hard for us as well and that we, we don't have perfect responses to it. Yeah, you've got to process it how you're going to personally process it, whether it's that big, loud, grieving stuff. Yeah. Um. Taking a second. Um, 
you know your kids best. Uh, there's no perfect way that you have um, no perfect way you have to decide how best to approach it for them. So each kid's different. Yeah, I mean, I think this is true in everything. I think this is true in like a you know six week old baby that won't sleep and a, you know sixteen yeah. year old teenager that's really struggling with anxiety. Our role on this podcast is to guide people around like what's the how do you translate the theory and the evidence into something that's actually helpful. But the parent is the actual expert of how that kid's going and are they coping all right? When do they need you to come in a bit more? Like we, I really believe in kind of being led by the child and what we call child and family centered practice. And um, parents are the best people to steer those conversations and to guide it. And just like Freddie showed us a few days ago. <laughs> You kind of let them let them decide when those conversations happen. It's just good to be ready for them. Yeah, yeah. When they're they're ready, like she's ready. I didn't think she was ready. Well, she doesn't know she's ready. She's asking. It's yeah, totally. It's, but as yeah. opposed to you oh, going, no, that's listen, we're I mean. sitting it's, down. Yeah, we've yeah. decided you're old yeah. enough. It's not yeah, like a, a birds and the bees thing. It's not when I decide. It's just that it's like oh god, this convo's happening and I wasn't ready. It's like I got to get ready. Yeah. Did yeah. you slightly side topic? Did you ever get the birds and the bees chat? No. God, I did. No. <laughs> I got told. I got told after watching an episode of Melrose Place with Mum, and I was in the car with her driving along. And she goes, "That's not what life is like, Nicholas." Those scenes, and I was like, "Okay, like, I don't know." Okay. And that was it. Yeah. Melrose Place. Wow. Yeah, Melrose Place. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's taken me back. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Um, be clear and literal with your explanations about death. Uh, don't use religious terms. Heaven watching over you, unless they actually. Uh, mean truth for you and your family for us they didn't and i think therefore could be really confusing for kids e.g um why is grandma in the clouds yeah such a great point isn't it yeah if it does i think it's a spot-on point if it doesn't Mm. mean anything to you and your family yeah because i think like this parent said it can be really confusing yeah because it's like i don't really understand what that means but if it's your truth and it's honest to you and your belief in what your family ideals are, then it's great. It's a really protective thing. But I think sometimes when you get a bit lost, you're like, well, I'm not really religious, but... I completely agree. I reckon mm. that's... I'm going to jump in. I reckon that's exactly where I would go to. I, mm. if, if confronted around a really tough like experience, if someone had just passed away, my, my daughter asked, and they were like, where have they gone? I think I actually would go, oh, they've gone to heaven and... That's where they are and immediately go to that. And, yeah, it just reminds me how much I've got to be prepared for these combos because I can see how you just go, well, that's, you know, life and they're with God and grandma and everyone else now and all these things. I can see how it happens to a person on the spot really quickly. Totally. And that's not, you know, we're not being critical of that. If that's what you believe, that's a really beautiful protective thing and it's a really great process to be able to use to deal with the grief of someone dying. If it's not what you believe, there's a vulnerability in it, in that you say it to Freddie and then when Freddie's older, she's like, hang on a second, that's not a part of any of our life and what we talk yeah. about and all these things, but it is this explanation of yeah. like what happens and, you know, it's a bit like I think we spoke last week about, you know, the dogs that go off to the farm. It's yeah. been hard for them when they realise the dogs don't go off to the farm and they're like, hang on a second, I've, that's how I've always had this explained to me and now it's not true. It's not what my family actually believe. So I think it is one that you can understand people leaning into it, but you've got to be careful that that is what you truly believe and there is honesty in it for you. Mm. Um, and then it's a great thing. But yeah, the 
the best way to do it, you know, I think is is kind of thinking about how do I process this stuff? How does what do I think about it? And then taking the good bits of that and the honest bits as well, saying it's not perfect and it doesn't explain it all the time and sometimes I still find it hard, but this is how I think about it. And I've you know, I've got personal beliefs about that that I want to pass on to Evie. Like I I think people live on in the stories we tell about them and the beliefs that we have and the way we live our lives. You know, my my mum has passed away but she lives on through me and the way that I bring up Evie I you know I think about what would she be like I have these beautiful memories of the way that she raised us and I was lucky enough to see her with my brother's kids and that's a way that she lives on I also you know tell stories about her and all that stuff so I think that's that's how I process it because that's actually healthy for me you know and that's what helps me but it's everyone's different yeah, I unfortunately I've I haven't known you long enough, so I didn't get to meet your mum, and I wish I had. But I, I just from the stories you tell about like the fiery Irish and the red, I'm just yeah. like I, I look at Evie and I'm like, yeah, well, she looks so the colouring and everything so similar to you that I'm like I can imagine I can see lots of probably what your mum was like, if not physically, like emotionally, physically at this stage. I'm like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, she was, you know. And yeah, and was, you know, wild and embraced life and, you know, lived every minute and all that stuff. And those, yep. you know, those are the bits that carry through past her passing away, you know, yeah, for yeah. me. And that's, yeah, that's the really cool bit about it is that we get to decide that narrative and role model it for our kids when people are gone. Which brings us to the next one about uh, deciding and making choices. So the last point from um, this parent uh, was involve them in making choices about what special things you might do and remember about their sibling, friend or grandma? Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, you know, we've stepped through some of the bits about explain it, be open and honest, go at their pace, Mm. you know, and we'll do show notes about this. But it's beautiful that this mum ended on that as the last gem um, because I think there's there's the hope in it as well Mm. and celebrating the life they've lived. We spoke about that last episode, but... I think that's a really important bit and this parent gave us a bit more detail around it saying, you know, we don't have a shrine but we also, we keep telling stories, especially about their 10-year-old. His name is still on lunchboxes, the clothes that he had still get passed around and that's a really cool way of keeping that memory alive and those kids will benefit from that, I believe, about hearing about him and about seeing you know, echoes of him in their life. And that's, you know, we all choose to do that differently. I remember this is, sorry, I usually try and limit myself to one bit about me. But I remember when Yvette was born, um, she was two days old. It was the first time we'd take her to the hospital. And um, when I was a little kid, I was in the, um, I don't think I've told this story on the podcast before, but I do love telling the same stories over and over again. But I was, um, I got picked to be in the Australian Boys Choir. I don't know if I've told oh, you this. No, I think you've told me this, but I don't yeah. think we've done it on the episode. Go so, on. So it was pretty much just because I was this scrawny, pasty, red-headed kid. <laughs> so I got thrown up the front with like, you know, probably the mic off. Um, and um, <laughs> But where we used to go, there was some gardens and in the gardens mm. there's a thing called a fairy tree. And the fairy oh, yeah. tree, yeah, you'd know the fairy tree, but there'd be a lot of people, listeners overseas and stuff. I've got to remember that sometimes... I remember someone recently said, what's footy? And it was a listener <laughs> overseas going, like, keep talking about footy, what's footy? But, yeah, so in these beautiful gardens there's a fairy tree and my mum used to tell me the story about it every time we went there. We'd go and visit it and she'd have this beautiful story about the fairies and talk yep. about them and what they're doing and what they believe in and how they help us and all this stuff. Really cool things. And when my daughter was, yeah, two days old, 
I took her to the fairy tree to introduce her to my mum and, you know, that was this really cool thing mm. that I could do and, yeah, I remember Annalise, you know, she's given birth two days ago and then has to stand there while I'm, like, sobbing my eyes out to a tree. <laughs> You're away with the fairies. <laughs> Introducing, yeah, 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 totally. And it's a really cool thing and it's, you know, it's this really beautiful thing that um, I can continue to do with Evie that honours my mum and yeah. everyone's really different in how they do that. I can't imagine what it's like when you've lost a child but it is a phenomenal strength mm. to be able to find those things and whether it's a community that's lost a child, a family... I think doing those things and that's why it's so amazing that mums like this or parents like this will go on and then, you know, be charitable and so generous in offering their future time to do this um, when they've lost someone. Completely agree. And that kind of brings us to, like, from here we now go on to a lighter topic. We do a heavy topic and a lighter topic, but obviously for the parents, um, it's not the case each week. So I just, again... The contributions this week were like none other we'd had from people mm. and um, I think it's a really important episode to share with people so that they can get an understanding and I think that that last contribution from that parent to give that context around everything was um, one of the most generous contributions we've had um, and it's obviously made up more than half of our podcast. I just uh, want to say thanks again um, as we um, sort of move on but I've found this topic fantastic and um, – learnt far more about loss and grief um and le- while i usually learn from you i think yeah learning from the listeners has been such a big part of this week so yeah yeah and just the privilege that we obviously are in to have families and people we love and all that stuff but you know more specifically the privilege to have such good engagement with listeners around the podcast and people will sometimes send us in topics and um you know, questions that are a bit off topic, but yeah. I think we've said in the past, please keep doing that because it, it guides what we do next and yeah. what we focus on in particular topics. Yeah, um, we don't have a topic picked out specifically for this week. We have mm. a few that people have sent through. Um, I don't know, I've been so focused on this one this week, it's been uh, a bit all-consuming, yeah. so I think we've got to get to that. So I don't know what's coming, but um, I guess on that note, just wanted to thank everyone uh, for joining this week. Um, again, this was part two. If you haven't captured part one, it'll give you a bit more context of where we're coming from on a lot of this, so please go back and listen to it. Um, but, yep, keep sending through contributions. You make up part two episodes. It's everything, so we really love it. Um, but, yeah, we'll speak to you in the next week or so. Thanks, Billy. Thanks, Nick.